Welcome to Envision Pass Podcast, preparing social workers for the licensing exam, providing critical insight, tips, and strategies to empower you to achieve your goal, your licensure. Please welcome your host, Tanisha Delfel. Thank you for joining in on today's podcast, Demystifying the NASW Code of Ethics, Part 1 of a four-part series. Joining me is Abraham Mora, one of the tutors at Envision Pass. Hello, Tanisha. I'm very excited to be on this podcast and discuss the Code of Ethics today. Yes, I'm really excited that you were able to join us. So based on my experience working with social workers who are trying to obtain their license, it seems that social workers are having difficulty reviewing and understanding the code of ethics and its meaning. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, there are, there's a lot of material on the code of ethics and I feel like people become extremely anxious or it's a bit nerve wracking while they're studying for their exam. Uh, they struggle with trying to understand the code and figuring out what particular parts of the code they should be studying thoroughly. Yes, and I think it's important for them to also understand that the code of ethics is the core of the exam. For example, most questions may have some ethical aspect to it. I mean, even if it's a human behavior question or an intervention question, there's always some sort of ethical aspect to the actual question, and it could be key to answering that question. It is the foundation of the exam. The code of ethics means a lot to this profession, and I always, uh, always and reinforce the importance of reading the code of ethics. Right, if you're able to yeah. understand the ethical principle or standard or even value that is explicitly expressed in that question, you're able to sort of kind of zoom into the question and figure out, okay, which particular answer choice just doesn't seem realistic based on the value associated to this question in front of me. Definitely. And in this part one series, we're going to review the preamble, the purpose of the Code of Ethics, and the ethical values and principles. Please ensure that you download the NASW Code of Ethics, which can be found online. I will pass. I am prepared. I will never give up. Visualize your future with your license. Okay, so now let's get straight into reviewing the Code of Ethics. All right, so... The primary mission of the social work profession is to enhance human well-being and help meet the basic human needs of all people, with particular attention to the needs and empowerment of people who are vulnerable, oppressed, and living in poverty. A historic and defining feature of social work is the profession's dual focus on individual well-being in a social context and the well-being of society. Fundamental to social work is attention to the environmental forces that create, contribute to, and address problems in living. So this is a very important part of the preamble. Based on my interpretation of it, the main important parts to keep in mind is that the social worker is responsible for enhancing the well-being of the individual, as well as helping individuals meet their needs with specific attention applied to individuals who are disadvantaged. Interestingly, there's also this dual focus that's also applied here, where the social worker not only is responsible for attempting to enhance the well-being of the individual, but he or she may also focus on trying to address the well-being of the general society. There is that dual focus that we have to sort of always balance in our practice. And then finally, at the end of this particular part of the preamble, it also focuses on environmental factors. 
So we are also going to focus on how these environmental factors are going to either contribute to the actual problem the client is focusing on or how it's going to create the particular problem that we are collaboratively working to address. Or it may also, or the social worker may also use the actual environment to help address the client's problems directly. Social workers promote social justice and social change with and on behalf of clients. Clients is used inclusively to refer to individuals, families, groups, organizations, and communities. Social workers are sensitive to cultural and ethnic diversity and strive to end discrimination, oppression, poverty, and other forms of social injustice. These activities may be in the form of direct practice, community organizing, supervision, consultation, administration, advocacy, social and political action, policy development and implementation, education and research and evaluation. Social workers seek to enhance the capacity of people to address their own needs. Social workers also seek to promote the responsiveness of organizations, communities, and other social institutions to individuals, needs, and social problems. I want for you to go ahead and highlight the area that says clients is used inclusively to refer to individuals, families, groups, organization, and communities. When reading the question, it is important for you to see the clients not only as an individual, but also as a family, group, organization, and communities. So historically, uh, social workers have been making efforts to address human basic needs, and by doing so, they may take action by either advocating in various forms, such as lobbying, protesting, trying to bring the media's attention to the situation, uh, civil uh, disobedience. So this is just a refusal to comply with the law, but it is a peaceful form of political protest. A great example of political protest could be the slogan, no taxation without representation. Now, this was a slogan that was originally used by the early American colonists during the American Revolution. Right before the revolution occurred, these individuals refused to pay taxes. And the reason they did not want to pay their taxes was because they were not at all included in the government branch that was responsible for taxing these individuals. Essentially, there was no representation on their end. So they peacefully decided to break the law by not paying their taxes because they were not represented at all. So now let's take a look at the third paragraph of the preamble. So the mission of social work profession is rooted in a set of core values. These core values embraced by social workers throughout the profession's history are the foundation of social work's unique purpose and perspective. The values are the following. Service, social justice, dignity and worth of the person, importance of human relationships, integrity, and competence. This constellation of core values reflects what is unique to the social work profession. Core values and principles that flow from them must be balanced within the context and complexity of human experience. So as Tanisha and I continue to discuss the Code of Ethics, we will delve into the principles that flow from these values. So I want for you to keep in mind that the NES Subject Code of Ethics sets forward standards and principles to guide social workers' behavior, and the implementation of these are not straightforward. So whereas it may articulate, for instance, or ethical mandate to become involved in social change, the Code of Ethics does not provide specific tasks regarding 
how this should be achieved. And we'll talk about this more later on in this four-part series podcast. Visualize passing the exam. Visualize your future with your license. Now let's take a look at the purpose of the NASW Code of Ethics. Professional ethics are the core of social work. The profession has obligation to articulate its basic values, ethical principles, and ethical standards. The NASW Code of Ethics sets forth these values, principles, and standards to guide social workers' conduct. The code is relevant to all social workers and social work students, regardless of their professional functions, the setting in which they work, or the population they serve. The NASW Code of Ethics serves six purposes. One, the code identifies core values on which social workers' mission is based. Two, the code summarizes broad ethical principles that reflect the profession core values and establishes a set of specific ethical standards that should be used to guide social work practice. Three, the code is designed to help social workers identify relevant consideration when professional obligations conflict or ethical uncertainties arise. Four, the code provides ethical standards to which the general public can hold the social work profession accountable. Five, the code socializes practitioners new to the field to social work's mission, values, ethical principles, and ethical standards. And six, the code articulates standards that the social work profession itself can use to assess whether social workers have engaged in unethical conduct. NESW has formal procedures to educate ethics complaints filed against its members. In subscribing to this code, social workers are required to cooperate in its implementation, participate in NESW adjudication proceedings, and abide by any NESW disciplinary rulings or sanction based on it. Tanisha, it seems that this portion of the purpose of the NASW Code of Ethics is essentially introducing the social worker to the profession's values, principles, and standards, and will utilize these values, principles, and standards to resolve or address ethical issues or dilemmas in social work practice. Now, whenever I hear the word ethic, words ethical dilemma, I think of a conflict that could arise between our values, our standards, or our principles. Okay. So now let's take a look at the first paragraph on page three. Furthermore, the NASW Code of Ethics does not specify which values, principles, and standards are most important and ought to outweigh others in instances when they conflict. Reasonable differences of opinion can and do exist among social workers with respect to the ways in which values ethical principles, and ethical standards should be ranked. Ethical decision-making in given situations must apply the informed judgment of the individual social worker and should, be, and should also consider how the issue would be judged in the peer review process or the ethical standards of the profession would be applied. So in summarizing this particular part, Tanisha, I would say that the code does not necessarily tell a social worker what particular course of action they have to take on or employ. So it's not mm -hmm. going to tell you which particular value or which particular principle or which particular standard you're going to have to prioritize over others. Instead, the social worker has a lot of leeway and they can actually decide based on contextual factors or based on different aspects of the problem, which particular values, principles, and standards they believe should be prioritized and included in their resolution to the actual issue. And 
we as social workers have different experiences, we have different viewpoints. So it does make sense that we're going, that we may interpret situation fairly differently than another social worker would. And I'm sure the code obviously recognizes that possibility, which is why it's always very appropriate for the social worker to also consider how other peers would view the particular ethical dilemma and how they would actually respond to it, which particular values they may prioritize over others. So I believe peer review is also very important. Yes, definitely it is important to read. Let's take, also take a look at the second paragraph, ethical decision-making. Right. Ethical decision-making is a process. In situations when conflicting obligations arise, social workers may be faced with complex ethical dilemmas that have no simple answer. Social workers should take into consideration all the values, principles, and standards in the code that are relevant to any situation in which ethical judgments is warranted. Social workers' decisions and actions should be consistent with the spirit as well as the letter of this code. So in summarizing this particular part, I believe that the code is simply suggesting that the social worker just keeps in mind or remains mindful, I would say, of the values, the standards, and ethics when a potential ethical dilemma does arise. And it could be a bit complex, but the social worker should center the resolution on these particular values, ethics, and standards that are provided by the code, and to just try their best of abilities to try to resolve the issue at hand. Perfect. And in addition to the code, there are many other sources of information about ethical thinking that may be useful. Social workers should consider ethical theory and principles generally. Social workers' theory and research, laws, regulations, agency policies, and other relevant code of ethics, recognizing that among codes of ethics, social workers should consider the NASW code of ethics as their primary source. Social workers also should be aware of the impact on ethical decision-making of their clients and their own personal values and cultural and religious beliefs and practices. They should be aware of any conflict between personal and professional values and deal with them responsibly. For additional guidance, social workers should consult the relevant literature on professional ethics and ethical decision-making and seek appropriate consultation when faced with ethical dilemma. So I want for you to go ahead and highlight the area that says they should be aware of any conflict between personal and professional values and deal with them responsibly. Also, for additional guidance, social workers should consult the relevant literature on professional ethics and ethical decision-making and seek appropriate consultation when faced with ethical dilemma, okay? This may involve consultation with any agency-based or social work organizations, ethics committee, a regulatory board, knowledgeable colleagues, supervisors, or legal counsel. So this means that the NESW is the most commonly used for social workers in the United States. Oftentimes, social workers' values and beliefs tend to conflict with their clients. And we have to be mindful of that. For example, a client that comes in uh, and talks about abortion, in this case, the social worker may want to seek supervision because they might feel uncomfortable um, having that conversation with the client. And we have to avoid telling the client not to, right? So uh, telling the client 
whether disagreeing with our clients, because that's basically mean that we're undermining our client and not promoting clients' right to self-determination. Social workers have to be mindful of imposing their own beliefs and values onto their client, right? So there are times when we face these conflicts and we may have to seek supervision. And for additional guidance as well, we can relate back to our code of ethics, right? So we can consult our code of ethics or seek appropriate um, consultation when necessary. Okay, so let's move on. Instances may arise when social workers' ethical obligations conflict with agency policies or relevant laws or regulations. When such conflicts occur, social workers must make a responsible effort to resolve the conflict in a manner that is consistent with the values, principles, and standards expressed in this code. If a reasonable resolution of the conflict does not appear possible, social workers should seek proper consultation before making a decision. So there are times when agency policy conflict with social workers' code of ethics. For example, um, an agency may unfairly increase their, their, their rates, right? Um, we may have to make a decision to advocate for changes in policy or in extreme circumstances, we may have to make a decision to leave the agency and find employment elsewhere. I fully agree with you, Tanisha. It's a really good example of how one would have to respond to an ethical dilemma. It's a bit extreme concerning the circumstances, but it's definitely warranted. While you were mentioning that particular example, I also was thinking or brainstorming in my mind about other types of ethical dilemma or dilemmas, I'm sorry. And a good example would be, for example, abuse, right? So if we have a client and the social worker suspects that there could potentially be abuse, let's say, if the client is a family, like you said beforehand, it's, it's utilized inclusively to refer to families or an individual. So let's say we're working with an individual and the individual, for example, could potentially be abusing a child or an elderly person or even a special needs adult, right? Essentially, the social worker is responsible for reporting this. So another interesting example that connects to relevant laws or regulations that are mentioned there would be, for example, working with a client in a prison system, right? So if a social worker is providing services to a client who unfortunately is incarcerated, the social worker needs to balance the client's interest but the interests of a general society. And mm -hmm. oftentimes the social worker may be presented with an ethical dilemma where in order to protect the general society, he or she might have to violate self-determination or they may have to breach confidentiality because a social worker may believe, right, or may have evidence that this particular client could still be dangerous, right? Presents mm -hmm. a particular high level of danger or threat to the general society. So unfortunately, the social worker may be presented with that kind of issue and they would choose in that particular scenario, it's possible that they would choose to protect the general society and choose general society's interest over those of the client because of the dual focus that we also yeah, have. And it yeah, yeah. And I, yes, completely agree with you. I mean, in choosing a course of action, you know, as social workers, we must take into account both the social work ethics and laws that apply to a particular situation. Agreed. Yeah, it's so true. Um, I mean, it's definitely a nuanced case, but just because it's nuanced does not mean it doesn't happen. And it could be more common than not. But um, it's definitely a challenge that individuals or social workers who are working in the criminal justice system or even in private practice when someone is, let's say, 
and for someone who's a vol- involuntary client and they're mandated to services, the social worker needs to always think of the client safety as well as their interests, which have to always be included in the planning portion or part of services. But we also have to keep in mind that we also have a responsibility to everyone else outside of that therapy session. We want to protect the interest of everyone. Yeah, and we'll be discussing that in other parts of this series. So now we are now going to move on to page four. We're going to start at the beginning, the first paragraph. The NASW Code of Ethics is to be used by the NASW and by individuals, agencies, organizations, and bodies, such as licensing and regulatory boards, professional liability insurance providers, courts of law, agency boards of directors, government agencies, and other professional groups that choose to adopt it or use it as a frame of reference. Violations of the standards in this code does not automatically imply legal liability or a violation of the law. Such termination can only be made in the context of legal and judicial proceedings. Alleged violations of the code would be subject to a peer review process. Such processes are generally separate from legal or administrative procedures and insulated from legal review or proceedings to allow the profession to counsel and discipline its own members. This part of the code is very, very important, Tanisha. It gives us insight into how the code is not only utilized by social workers, but it can also be utilized by a licensing or regulatory board or a professional liability insurance provider or even the court of law. What's even more interesting is that if an individual, let's say, mistakenly or even deliberately violates the code of ethics, it's not necessarily considered to be a violation of any legal policies in that jurisdiction, wherever the social worker is practicing. However, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be subjected to a review by other social workers, right? It's very important for us to remember that if we don't abide by this code and we do violate any of these standards, that we could be subjected to an investigation by a regulatory board in that state, by our peers, essentially, I mean, essentially other social workers, right? What's also very interesting is that this particular part of the code also informs the social worker that whatever process they are going to be subjected to, if they have violated the code, is actually protected from any legal review or proceeding mm-hmm. in that particular state in order, in order to allow the profession to counsel its own members. It's very, very important because not only will our particular violation of the code be investigated thoroughly by members of our profession, but it's not going to be reviewed from any by any other legal representative of that state, let's say, or that jurisdiction. It's only going to be dealt with by our own, in a sense. So a code of ethics cannot guarantee ethical behavior. Moreover, a code of ethics cannot resolve all ethical issues or disputes or capture the richness and complexity involved in striving to make responsible choices within a moral community. Rather, a code of ethics sets forth values, ethical principles, and ethical standards to which professionals aspire and by which their actions can be judged. Social workers' ethical behavior should result from their personal commitment to engage in ethical practice. The NASW Code of Ethics reflects the commitment of all social workers to uphold the profession's values and act ethically. Principles and standards must be applied by individuals of good character who discern moral questions and, in good faith, seek to make reliable ethical judgments. 
So this part's also very interesting only because just because a social worker adheres to the code of ethics does not mean that the social worker will always conduct themselves in an ethical manner. We always want to try our best to be able to respond in the most ethical way possible. But the code also informs other social workers as well as the general population that just because this code exists does not guarantee that the social worker will behave in an ethically just way. In addition, this part of the code also emphasizes the idea that there are certain dilemmas that are very complex. And because they're so complex, the code of ethics may not efficiently or effectively address the complexity of the issue. So it may not, it may not help the social worker actually resolve the situation only because the situation may be a bit too comprehensive or even intensive to the point where the code doesn't really understand how to tackle on the issue in a way that's going to hold the client's interest primary while also trying to protect everyone else who is involved. With growth in the use of communication technology in various aspects of social work practice, and I want for you to go ahead and highlight social workers need to be aware of the unique challenges that may arise in relation to maintenance of confidentiality, informed consent, professional boundaries, professional competence, records keeping, and other ethical consideration. In general, all ethical standards in the Code of Ethics are applicable to interactions, relationships, or communications, whether they occur in person or with the use of technology. For the purpose of this code, technology-assisted social workers include any social work services that involve the use of computers, mobile or landline telephones, tablets, video technology, or other electronic or digital technologies. This includes the use of various electronic or digital platforms such as the internet, online social media, chat rooms, text messaging, email, and emerging digital applications. Technology-assisted social worker services encompass all aspects of social work practice, including psychotherapy, individual, family, or group counseling, community organizing, administration, advocacy, mediation, education, supervision, research, evaluation, and other social work services. Social workers should keep apprised of emerging technological developments that may be used in social work practice and how various ethical standards apply to them. So even though in our field, we do interact face-to-face with clients at all times, there are certain profession and there are certain times when we have to meet our clients by using technology, right? So whether it be by computer, as I mentioned before, or the phone or, um, you know, chat rooms, text messaging, email, and so forth. Basically, technology has become a key component in our field of social work practice. And we have to be mindful of its advantages as well as its challenges. The social worker needs to realize or just be mindful that these particular platforms could crash. And if they do crash and they anticipate the platforms crashing, they should have a contingency or a backup plan, right? To be able to make sure that there aren't any disruptions or interruptions in provision of services. Well, you know, there are some positives as well to when it comes to use of technology. For example, it definitely removes barriers for people who are unable to go into an office, 
right, to meet with social workers for people who are unable to afford transportation to meet with social workers. So there are some benefits as well as its challenges. And as social workers, we have to weigh those um, advantages and disadvantages and ensure that we comply with the HIPAA guidelines and approach uh, this work from an ethical uh, level. Visualize passing the exam. Visualize your future with your license. Now we are going to move on to page five. We're going to start our discussion on the ethical principles. The following broad ethical principles are based on social work's core values of service, social justice, dignity, and worth of the person, importance of human relationships, integrity, and competence. These principles set forth ideals to which all social workers should aspire. We're going to start off with the first value, which is service. And the main ethical principle associated to service is the following. Social workers' primary goal is to help people in need and to address social problems. Social workers elevate service to others above self-interest. Social workers draw on their knowledge, values, and skills to help people in need and to address social problems. Social workers are encouraged to volunteer some portion of their professional skills with no expectation of significant financial return, which is also known as pro bono services. So as social workers, we value this profession primarily because we want to help others, right? And we have this desire to focus on our clients' needs and interests. So it is unethical for social workers to withhold care regardless of who your client is, regardless of their race, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their criminal history, socioeconomic status, their religion, our mission as social workers is to always um, address our clients' needs and enhance their well-being. I agree. I mean, that's a pretty good summary of that particular value. I think it's really interesting and on point that you also mentioned the social workers' just natural tendency to want to just provide service and help and assistance to those who are living in poverty, we can say disadvantaged or vulnerable. I mean, if you, if you, when you speak with most social workers and you ask them why they choose this field, they would say because they like helping people, right? Or others might choose this field based on personal um, experiences, right? So we're not in this field, obviously, to make money, right? We're in this field because we have a passion of helping others. We are now going to move on to the next value, which is social justice. And the ethical principle that flows from social justice is the following. Social workers challenge social injustice. Social workers pursue social change, particularly with and on behalf of vulnerable and oppressed individuals and groups of people. Social workers' social change efforts are focused primarily on issues of poverty, unemployment, and discrimination, and other forms of social injustice. These activities seek to promote sensitivity to and knowledge about oppression and cultural and ethnic diversity. Social workers strive to ensure access to needed information, services, and resources, equality of opportunity, and meaningful participation decision-making for all people. So the Social Work Dictionary defines social justice as an ideal condition in which all members of society have the same basic rights, protection, opportunities, obligations, and social benefits. Implicit in this concept is the notion that historical inequalities should be acknowledged and remedied through specific measures. 
A key social work value, social work justice entails advocacy to confront discrimination, oppression, and institutional inequities. So in other words, social justice is about treating everyone fairly. So yeah, it definitely tends to focus on the equitable treatment of all people. And with social justice, it's a very valuable concept only because it will always encourage the social worker to sort of be on the lookout, right? To whether they're in an agency, in private practice, or whether they're working in macro social work, you're constantly trying to observe social policies, uh, legislations, right? Practices at your own agency that may not offer everyone equitable services or treatment. And if it's not, it's a social worker's responsibility to sort of say something, to advocate, to bring it to the attention mm-hmm. of their supervisor or director. And it's only to work toward making sure everyone is receiving fair, just, equitable services, like you clearly mentioned. Yeah. And for instance, you know, when a client is experiencing racism, right, for instance, um, our focus is helping the client to cope with that racism, right? Our focus is also helping the client in advocating and empowering them by giving them the strategies they need. You know, we talk about a client as an individual, but also our client as a community, right? So by offering advocacy, education, or community empowerment strategies, those are what, as social workers, we use to remedy the problem. Now we're going to move on to the third value, which is dignity and worth of the person. Now from this value flows the following ethical principle. Social workers respect the inherent dignity and worth of the person. Social workers treat each person in a caring and respectful fashion mindful of individual differences, cultural and ethnic diversity, social workers promote clients' socially responsible self-determination. Social workers seek to enhance clients' capacity and opportunity to change and to address their own needs. Social workers are cognizant of their dual responsibility to clients and to the broader society. They seek to resolve conflicts between clients' interests and the broader society's interests in a socially responsible manner consistent with values, ethical principles, and ethical standards of the profession. When we talk about dignity and self-worth, we're talking about respecting the worth of our clients, which include honoring their rights to self-determination. So a typical example, so if you think about the phrase, treat others the way how you want to be treated and not how they want to be treated, is a typical example of showing respect to others the same way how you want others to respect you. So it all boils down to demonstrating respect to your clients and not imposing your own beliefs and values on them, right? So consider, as I mentioned before, self-determination. We're not going to tell our clients what to do. If they're competent enough to make their own decision, then we accept that decision, right? You know, for example, a client that tells us that they're being abused by their husband We're not going to tell our clients that they should leave their husband. We have to allow our clients to make that decision on their own. Okay. So by trusting our clients to make their own decision, that is respecting them. And that is an example of dignity and self-worth. I mean, that's a really good example you brought up concerning not telling the client what they should do. If you're coming from a place of understanding and if you truly do respect the worth of the person, then you obviously respect their ability to be able to make decisions concerning their own care, right? And also decisions concerning their overall life. 
Right. I mean, consider how you would feel if someone told you what to do, right? So we have to put ourselves in our client's shoe and have this empathetic understanding of their situation. Right. I mean, even if you tell your client what to do, I just feel like that would lead to the client being more resistant. I think it would have a paradoxical effect, right? The opposite effect, right? By you telling the person how they should live their life, essentially you are imposing your views on them. That's not your place, right? As social workers, we're so mindful of staying in our lanes and respecting the client to our best of abilities and honoring, right? Their dignity and self-worth by respecting and honoring their decisions. Correct. Now let's move on to value importance of human relationships. Ethical principle, social workers recognize the central importance of human relationships. Social workers understand that relationships between and among people are an important vehicle for change. Social workers engage people as partners in the helping process. Social workers seek to strengthen relationships among people in a purposeful effort to promote, restore, maintain, and engage the well-being of individuals, families, social groups, organizations, and communities. So this is one of the most important values, in my opinion. When I was in graduate school, one of the earliest lessons I recall being taught is that the primary predictor for success in any agency setting or therapeutic setting, whether it be in the community or in a private practice, is the actual relationship you have with your client, right? The therapeutic or collaborative relationship. Uh, If you have a strong relationship with the client, it's going to allow the client to be forthcoming or honest about their needs, about their problems. And you know that you are extremely successful in this particular field if the client feels extremely comfortable describing their issues to you. It's very hard for us to open up in general. Imagine a client is going through a tough situation. The fact they're opening up to you means that they feel comfortable. They feel like you've built a very strong relationship to the point where they can actually express themselves to you in ways they may not feel comfortable doing so with other people who they may have a very close relationship with. It's a very honorable, cool thing. And when the social worker acknowledges the client's feelings, when the social worker acknowledges the client's problem and allows the client to elaborate and teach them concerning about, concerning their problem, it's also very uplifting and empowering for the client. Uh, when you think about a very strong therapeutic relationship, you think about you subjecting the client right to unconditional positive regard, true acceptance of that client. We're not condoning any unacceptable behavior, but we are going to show the client that not taking that into account, regardless of what is going on in their life concerning, let's say, criminal history or race or socioeconomic status, we still accept you for who you are. And we're here to help you and we're here to listen to you, right? We want to be very authentic, honest, genuine, just real. Do you know what I mean? Just feel, just really meeting the client where they're at and just being very straightforward concerning expectations. If they've been mandated by the court system, be honest, be genuine, tell them what's expected of them on your end and from the referral sources end as well. This is going to create a very strong relationship between you and the client or just strengthen it further. Yes. And value integrity. Ethical principle, social workers behave in a trustworthy manner. Social workers are continually aware of the profession's mission, values, ethical principles, and ethical standards in practice in a manner consistent with them. Social workers act honestly and responsibly and promote ethical practices on the part of the organizations with which 
they are affiliated. Okay. Integrity is also one of the most salient values as well, only because it's always going to encourage a social worker to conduct themselves in an honest, genuine, trustworthy manner. Right, Our behavior must always be consistent with the values, principles, and standards that the code introduces a social worker to. Right, We abide by this code in order to make sure that we are helping the client to our best of abilities while also adhering to a high standard of practice to protect our profession as well as our practice. Value competence. Ethical principle. Social workers practice within their areas of competence and develop and enhance their professional expertise. Social workers continually strive to increase their professional knowledge and skills and to apply them in practice. Social workers should aspire to contribute to the knowledge base of the profession. So whenever I think of competence, the first thing that comes into my mind is that famous or even infamous slogan, right? Which is stay in your lane in a way. As social workers, I feel like we in my personal opinion, based on my practice, I honestly strive, right, to be proactive in the area of competence or in my area of expertise, right? It would be very unethical for a social worker who is extremely competent working with, let's say, families or couples, whether an MFT, a marriage and family therapist, under a social work designation. It'd be kind of unethical if that social worker also attempted to provide a person struggling with addiction problems, let's say, right? The social worker is not trained as an addiction specialist, and it would be highly inappropriate and highly unethical to provide services in that area of our profession if the person has not received proper training or, let's say, proper consultation or supervision or educational classes on how to best conduct that type of therapy, whether it's motivational interviewing or whether it's solution-focused etc. You know, if you're not competent to, to um, handle a certain situ- uh, particular situation, as you mentioned before, right, we must link our clients, right, to another social worker that possess the required skill and knowledge, right? So this could just be someone, a professional who is, you know, with a specialized training in that particular area. So for example, if you have no expertise working with clients that have addiction problem, we may have to refer the client to someone else. And it's also very important for the social worker always to strive to further enhance their expertise, right? If we're trying to always enhance our clients' well-being, we understand that human beings are very dynamic, right? Which means they're constantly changing. And it's important that our expertise, that our field also reflects that change in people. That we are always, that we're always abreast of new therapeutic models. And we're, we remain abreast of these new therapeutic models by receiving thorough training. So this concludes our first part of our four-part series. Thank you so much, Abraham, for joining us. Thank you, Tanisha, for having me. It was a great conversation. It was definitely very insightful and informative, and I look forward to continuing this series. And please tune in to our next podcast, where we will be discussing ethical standards, standard one, social workers' ethical responsibilities to clients. Listening to the Envision Pass podcast with Tanisha Delph. The podcast designed to assist you through your journey towards passing the licensing exam. 